All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you on this 5th of July, 2016. Um, I, uh, I, as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and uh, my partner, Chen Lin. Uh, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes an excellent newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Well, we certainly are having a lot of fun so far this year with our stock picks. The exploration companies are doing extremely well. Uh, so you may want to check us out. Go to miningstocks.com to learn more about my newsletter, miningstocks.com. I want to thank each of you for listening, making this one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. We also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for this week are TriMetals Mining, RN Resources, Brazil Resources, Columbus Gold, and a new sponsor starting today is Coral Gold. Coral Gold just sold a property off to Barrick Gold, a property they have in Nevada, uh, for over $18 million, and now this little tiny microcap company has some cash uh, that it plans to use uh, to start uh, a royalty business. And this is, uh, we'll be talking to David uh, Wolfen in the near future for uh, some ideas of what sort of assets he sees and opportunities he sees right now for uh, Coral Gold. Today I have technical analyst Michael Oliver with me, and he's with me right now. He'll be speaking, uh, we'll be asking him a couple of things in just a minute or two. Um, we really want to ask him about the precious metals markets, of course, as we always do. The T-bond markets, U.S. stocks, gold and gold shares have been on a tear since the middle of February, more or less. And my model portfolio is up over 70% this year. And that, and that considers the fact that we've picked some things. Um, we've shorted the S&P 500 with a, uh, a non-levered short, and we shorted the, uh, the uh, junk bonds as well. And those have not been winning. Uh, have not been winning allocations so far. So I really want to hear what Michael has to say about those. Um, and and as I say, he'll be with me in just a second or two here now. Um, also, uh, we're going to be talking to Robert Justra. You know, I just mentioned that the junior gold mining companies have been on a tear. They're doing extremely well now. Part of that is just simply because they were so oversold, so undervalued that as soon as a little bit of life was breathed back into the gold mining sector, these things have really risen with a tremendous uh, percentage gains. And uh, Columbus Gold, which Robert heads up, has a very substantial asset in South America and some other exploration properties in Nevada that I think make this makes this a very undervalued stock. But we'll be talking to Robert Justra um, in about 10 or 15 minutes from now. 
Uh, today's show I've titled, Why Not Abolish the Fourth of July? Uh, former presidential candidate Ron Paul, uh, Michael Oliver, and Robert Juster, as I just mentioned, will be with me. They're our guests today. The Declaration of Independence defined the author of personal liberty, defined uh, by uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, why people are free, uh, that, uh, that our liberties come to us by our creator, not uh, by the dictator or the president or king or whatever. Um, and so it seems, though, that the idea of personal sovereignty, the idea that each individual is important, is something that is losing emphasis in America now. In, the, in fact, sometimes I really wonder, why do we celebrate the 4th of July? If you were to ask uh, people out there shooting off firecrackers and fireworks yesterday, why do we celebrate the 4th of July? And can you recite the opening, opening lines of the Declaration of Independence? I doubt hardly any of them can, because they are not taught the Declaration of Independence in the schools any longer. The idea now is that the individual is not sovereign, that in fact the state is sovereign, and that we are to serve the state. And that is completely opposite of what our founders believed and what they stated in the Declaration of Independence. The state was here to serve us. The idea was that the state should be minimized so that we could be optimized, so that each of us could, uh, could recognize our own our own talents and abilities, and not uh, for the state to get in the way of that. Well, so I pose the question to Ron Paul uh, later in today's show, why should we, um, you know, why, why should we celebrate the 4th of July when, in fact, the very premise for the revolution seems to have been turned on its head? That and some other uh, more practical issues about markets and so forth, we'll be talking uh, to Ron Paul about it about half past the hour or so. But now I do have, and I'm very fortunate to have Michael Oliver with me. He is my favorite technical analyst for reasons uh, primarily, well, Michael is a, is a good friend of mine, and, and I guess we share uh, philosophical views largely. We're pretty much uh, libertarians in our thinking, limited government folks, but Michael's also been spot on in his calls. I don't know of many calls that Michael's made that haven't been correct, and uh, one of them that really stands out in my mind I want to ask him about today, and that is the T-bond. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago or so, he was predicting the possibility of a blow-off in the T-bond market. Well, if you look at the T-bond market, the U.S. Treasuries, long-dated Treasuries, are on a tear for sure, uh, so we want to talk to him about that, and uh, well, he's here with us now, so let's get started. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Oh, glad to be back, Jay. Always good to have you, and I want to tell my listeners again, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to learn more about Michael's work. Well, I've had, um, you know, I've had a non-levered ETF in my portfolio, Michael. Um, it, it, uh, it's a short position on the S&P 500. It's down 5.2% so far this year. Um, you know, my gold shares, the, the exploration guys, are up 200% on average. And one commentator that I spoke with the other day said, Taylor, I think you should just get rid of that short on the S&P 500. He says, I, think, I don't think these S&P, I don't think these stocks are going down anytime soon in the United States. What are your, what are your thoughts on the S&P 500? Well, I, I think that we live in very interesting times. I think we're, we're approaching a culmination or a crisis, not just in markets, but in politics. And you can't separate the two anymore because, as you know and I know, the state has involved itself so much in markets that it's hard to find a market event that isn't correlated to the state in some way, mm-hmm. like central banks and so forth. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that question. Don't let me forget it about the S&P. Sure. Um, but I've got some overarching. When you first interviewed me, I think it was like two years ago, it was over my book, The New Libertarianism, Anarcho-Capitalism. I think you'd seen the review in the Mises Institute, which lost yep. the book, uh, which I was very proud of. But uh, 
as that's the other half of my life and has been for 40 years uh, of active libertarian uh, the I see certain things going on now that most libertarians I don't think appreciate uh, I think the political events of the day are very positive now how can I say that when there's the Trump and, and Hillary yeah. <laughs> uh, as the two to me how can I possibly be positive the way I can be positive and this is true with markets as well sometimes you have to go to the extreme to undo something. Mm-hmm. Quite often things aren't undone in an incremental, let's go through the normal rut type of process. They, they occur when you take things to an absolute extreme that is untenable and it just rips apart at some point. Uh, we've had the two-party system for our lifetimes, if not longer. There's nothing, of course, uh, holy about a two-party system. It just happened to be. Okay? It was not in the Constitution or anything of the sort. Uh, and as it happens, libertarians and Tea Party folks and limited government folks have crowded into the GOP as if that were the vehicle, only vehicle available to them to mm-hmm. uh, put forward their policies and try to take the state back, limit it, cut it back, so forth. And they failed. Even though there's been a lot of Tea Party people in Congress, they've still not gotten anything done because of other GOP orthodoxies and the power of the Democratic Party combined. Therefore, it's been a futile vehicle. Well, fortunately, because of Donald Trump, that vehicle is being trashed, mm-hmm. possibly uh, forever, as a, as a viable political party. Uh, the Tea Party people, limited government people, are abandoning it. They don't have much other option. They have the LP out there, Libertarian Party, but that you know that's it's a possibility. It may be in the future melded with some other groups to form a larger party. I suspect the GOP is dying. That's a positive. Mm-hmm. Because it was a false positive to begin with, mm-hmm. from our point of view. As far as the Democrat side, if Hillary Clinton wins the election, um, and, and, it, and it ends up with her and Trump, and she happens to win it, that's a positive. Now, how can that be conceived of as positive? We just saw Brexit. Brexit is not just an economic event, it is a political event. There are many similar mini-Brexits occurring throughout Europe, and I will, I will suggest the following. If she wins... There will be a Texit, a Brexit in Texas uh-huh. after her election. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm not the first guy to say this. If you go online right now, type in Texas secession, mm-hmm. news button, don't go to blogs. You'll find New York Times, Washington Times, The Guardian, NBC News have in recent days covered this issue. It is a potent movement in Texas. It will gain gravitas rapidly if she wins. Wow. So. In an unorthodox way, things can get unwound, and sometimes it takes seeming negatives to create the positive. Okay, enough Mm -hmm. of that. Back to the markets. All right. Uh, T-bonds. Yes, I love gold. We love gold at 1140, 1160. We said the big bull market started. Buy it and leave it alone. It's going. Okay, it's gone. A lot of people have been teased by jig-jags on the way up, up and down, $100 swings here and there, but they should not have gotten out. It is a big move. Uh, next rest stop might be 1470 to 1540, somewhere in there. Not 1360 where it is now. Okay, that's a, that's a given. Second, T-bonds. Our view on T-bonds this year was that T-bonds would continue to rise at least in the first half of the year, meaning lower yields. Then it, it dawned on me about a month ago uh, that T-bonds could enter a blow-off, and I can measure it technically on momentum and price, meaning they go vertical rapidly. Rates collapse talking the 30-year T-bond futures. That is happening. That, that is happening. phenomenon means the end of a bull market. 
once it's over, the, the blow-off will, like an old Cape Canaveral-type rocket in back in the 50s when they set them up and they go up about 1,000 feet and then they come back thundering to the ground uh, <laughs> back in the early days. That is what T-bonds are setting up for. I think T-bonds are the detonator. And when this blow-off is over, when they go down, rates are going to go up rapidly. And I can see T-bond rates, which might go under 2% here soon, go back to 4 so fast it will make your head spin. And even a move of that quality and size with speed will disrupt many markets. As far as the S&P goes, it is highly unusual. It is not a representation of what we call developed economy stock markets. If you look at Germany... Look across Europe, look at Japan. These are developed economy stock markets. They tend to move with the S&P, and they are clearly way off their highs and in a lot of trouble. Uh, the S&P is not even representative of many subsectors within the United States market. And so I think it is an illusion, but I think it will be ripped asunder when the T-bonds, and maybe even before, <clears throat> when the T-bonds top and head down. I don't think T-bonds are speaking in the manner they're speaking, and gold is speaking. What it is saying uh, have no consequence on the S&P. I think it will. So, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, right now, I would say uh, I put out specific numbers for my subscribers, so I hesitate to do that right now. It would sure. be unfair to them. But I think the S&P does not have much room to sell off here this month or any time this quarter, uh, too far below where we are right now, which is the 2080 level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you drop down several more percent, and it's over. All right, Michael. We're, we're going to have to let it go at that. Okay. We're just about we're just about out of time, but I think this is really interesting in the context of what Alan Greenspan was saying on Bloomberg last week when he talked about his concerns about inflation, and he mentioned M two, and also he said when we're you know other periods in history like this we have a blow off in inflation. So I could see concerns about inflation really causing that sort of uh, rocket ship to turn and head back down to earth that you're talking about. It, yes, I agree. And, and, and then with that, with that, how could, equity mar- how could the equity markets remain strong if you start seeing an honest-to-God increase in the interest rates that start really rising when we have this enormous amount of, uh, of, of leverage all throughout the Western world? It is really a frightening prospect, but you are at least passing on some hopeful signs. Michael, maybe it's all coming together for the better. Let's hope so. I think so. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for being with me, Michael. Always good to hear from you. That's all the time we have for uh, for this segment. We're going to commercial break, but don't go away. I mentioned our gold shares are on a tear, and one that I like a lot that's been in my newsletter that is really, really good is Columbus Gold. We're going to have Robert Juster with us right after the break to talk about Columbus Gold, so don't go away. I'll be right back. Foreign Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Orin is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. 
Brazil Resources Incorporated is developing projects with a total of 10 million ounces of gold resources. These acquisitions were made at discounted prices during the recent commodities market downturn. The company is a go-to name for leverage to the rising gold price among institutions and analysts. It is also exploring the highly prospective Rea Uranium project with JV partner Arriva in the western Athabasca Basin. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting brazilresources.com. TSXV, BRI, OTCQX, BRIZF. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Robert Schuster. He's the president and CEO of Columbus Gold. Uh, Robert's been with us before, as I mentioned, to talk about Columbus Gold. It is a company that uh, I have recommended in my newsletter. It's one that I own shares of personally, uh, and I've learned to know Robert over a number of years. He has a, an excellent track record and uh, has a good background uh, in the financial sector as well as in the mining sector. So uh, thanks for joining me again, Robert. Good to have you with me. You know, I uh, should mention, I guess, to our listeners, uh, your stock trades in Canada under the symbol CGT, and you can buy it down here in the States as I have under the symbol CBGDF. Uh, There are 141.6 million shares outstanding. Earlier today, at least, I don't know where it's trading in the last hour or so, uh, but I saw it trading at 62 cents in Canadian dollars, around 48 cents in U.S., giving uh, Columbus Gold a market cap of around $68 million. Well, I'd like to start by asking you to call uh, to tell our listeners a little bit about your 100% owned uh, Mon- Montagny property, gold property in French Guyana. It's a, it really a very advanced project. And from what I can see, Robert, uh, more than justifies uh, your current share price. But right. tell us a little bit about, uh, about this advanced stage project. Um, that's right, Jay. It's, it's called the Montagne Door uh, Gold Project. Um, rightfully so. The locals have been calling it that forever because there's, there's, in fact, a large gold resource there. Uh, it's um, 5 million ounces, grading about 1.5 grams, which, which, as you know, is, is a very good grade. It's, um, it's in French Guyana, which politically is part of France, so it, it also benefits from being a safe mining jurisdiction uh, with um, rule of law and uh, security of tenure and all those things you, you expect in a Western democracy. Uh, it's um, a project that you could actually drive through, which is very rare in, in this, this part of Latin America. Um, it's open pit, and it uh, has excellent metallurgy with 97% recoveries. Um, it checks all the boxes as far as a gold project goes, Jay. Yeah. So you did a, a pre-feasibility study on it, I believe. Robert, could you talk a little bit about that? What, how did those numbers come out? We did. As you know, it's, it's the initial economic study in advance of a feasibility study, which we're expecting later this year. Uh, but we used a $1,200 gold price um, and an NPV 5%, and that resulted in a, an IRR of 23%, which is rather robust for a preliminary economic assessment uh, of this size. 
Um, all in sustaining costs are quite low. I think really the key is low cost producer, $711 an ounce. Um, cash costs of $582, Jay, which puts mm-hmm. it in the, the bottom quartile of mm-hmm. potential producers. In the first year, we'd be producing 273 ounces. In the first 10 years, rather, 273,000 ounces a year, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. would make it uh, one of the largest producers in the top 40 in the world for annual gold production, uh, and with an average grade of about 2 grams per ton, which would make it one of the highest open pit grades in the Americas for a gold project. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, and uh, you know, you mentioned the economics at that stage uh, were done on $1,200 gold. We're looking at something like $1,350 gold. What uh, sort of uh, advantage would that give to the economics? I would think very substantially, uh, assuming, of course, that the costs uh, don't go up along with the price of gold. But, but how, what are your thoughts in terms of how that might enhance the net present value of this project? Well, you're exactly right, Jay. We're in a, you know, we're probably in a new gold cycle. I agree completely with the sentiments of your previous guest. I was listening in there um, with Michael Michael Oliver. Was that his name? Yes, yeah, Michael Oliver. I agree Oliver. completely. We're probably in a new gold market, but we're at the very beginning of it. Uh, it's very early days, and the project um, benefits substantially from uh, an increase in the, the price of gold. Uh, for every $1 increase in the gold price, the NPV of the project increases by $1 million. Mm. Under the preliminary economic assessment, the NPV worked out to $450 million U.S. So mm-hmm. a $100 increase in the price of gold, and again, it was $1,200 we used in the PA. Gold today is $1,350, appears to be in an up, uh, on an upswing. For every $100 increase in the price of gold, um, the, the project NPV increases by $100 million. Wow. That's uh, that, that's pretty substantial. Um, you, now, putting a, a project together, this is a sizable project, as you said, two hundred seventy-three thousand ounces. That was the first year, I believe, with a slightly higher grade in the first year. But how? Uh, uh, this probably a big capital expenditure involved here, uh, Robert, and uh, and it takes a lot of expertise. So you have teamed up with Nordgold, I believe it is. Uh, they have uh, been very successful, very successful global operators, gold mining uh, company. Uh, what can you tell us about you, the relationship you have with Nord and what they have to do to earn into uh, to this project, which at this stage I believe you still you own 100% of, right? That's exactly right. So um, uh, we're a junior mining company, as you know, Jay, and our expertise is in discovery and exploration and taking the project to the point of completing a feasibility study. At some point, junior mining companies have to team up with m- uh, more senior companies that bring the expertise to actually construct the mine. And that's what NORD does. NORD is funding the feasibility study. Um, that feasibility study will be completed this year, but we are carrying out the work. It's all our people on the ground carrying out the work. NORD Gold is writing the checks. And uh, at some point, the feasibility study will be complete. Uh, that'll be near the end of this year. And NORD Gold will take over as operator. Uh, and then that's when their expertise becomes paramount in actually constructing the mine. Nordgold is a top 10 producer worldwide, gold producer. Uh, in the last eight years, they've, um, uh, they've put nine gold mines into production, and they've got 200 construction right now. 
And uh, what is the arrangement? What do they have to do? They're earning, I believe it is about 50%. Is that, is that the way it is? Uh, they have to deliver 55, 55%, 55% on mm-hmm. completion of the feasibility study. They have until March of next year to do it. Um, that would be cutting it kind of close. So they're going mm-hmm. to aim to complete the funding of the feasibility study by the end of this year. And uh, I'm pleased to say that we're well on track for that. Mm-hmm. All right. So I mean, that feasibility study, they will earn 55%. And we will own 45% of a feasibility stage, a large gold project with plenty of upside to get even bigger. Well, I mean, if we're looking at your uh, NPV at $450 million, dollars, uh, you cut that in half, or 45, 55, or whatever, and then you add another 100 or 150 dollars to the gold price, as you mentioned, to be another 150 million in market uh, in the NPV, five percent discounted NPV. I mean, clearly, uh, your 45 percent of that project alone exceeds your current market cap, which I mentioned a little moment ago was only about $68 million. So that tells me that if this project is as good as a PEA suggests it is, that your stock is grossly undervalued on the basis of this one project, and you have other things which I want to get to in just a minute. But would you agree with that? Is that how you see it? Correct. Jay, we're greatly undervalued at this time. Um, I, I, think you're, I think you're bang on. Uh, our... Um, on completion of the feasibility study, just based strictly on, on the MPV, uh, we should see a substantial uh, re-rating, um, uh, substantial re-rating of our share price based on, um, uh, you know, on the MPV. And as you pointed out, we did use 1,200 gold, and for every dollar increase, that MPV goes up by a million dollars. So the upside is uh, substantial, but I, what I, I think I'd like to point out uh, that the downside um, there isn't much downside at our current market cap because we're greatly, greatly uh, undervalued at this time. Mm-hmm. Very important there's, consideration. There's on the downside, and I think that needs to be pointed out. Well, that's right. I mean, if you didn't have this asset and you were just looking at your exploration stories, although I want to ask you about that, you do have a very, a very good project, uh, one that you've had some success with early days still in Nevada. Uh, do you want to talk to talk to us about that a little bit? Tell us a little bit about that project. Well, as you know, Jay, we started out as a Nevada prospector. Um, the objective was uh, to uh, evaluate projects at a very early stage um, and um, uh, assess through, principally through, through drilling, which had the potential to be called genuine discoveries uh, and uh, potentially um, uh, form deposits with some drilling. And that was a seven-year exercise that resulted in the discovery of a project we call Eastside, mm-hmm. uh, which we, uh, we know has great upside potential, and, uh, and it's a project that uh, we will maintain 100% interest in. All right, and you're, uh, you're spending some money uh, exploring that now. Can you, what can you tell us about the project so far? You've had, uh, it, is, it is an oxide uh, open pit heap leach target, I guess, is probably what you're thinking. And, and as I understand in reading about it, probably oxides go down yep. deeper than it is typical, which, is, which would be a, a positive, I would think. Yeah, as you know, it's, uh, it's um, much, um, in terms of, of, of production costs, it's much cheaper to, to produce oxides than to produce from sulfides. In Nevada, there are a lot of issues with uh, what we call uh, refractory ores, and that doesn't seem to be a problem here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the oxide ore 
uh, at east side uh, as uh, is indicated to a depth of almost a thousand feet. Mm. So the, the project um, is is not exclusively oxide. At some point, you're also you're always going to get into sulfides. Uh, but the, the we don't have problems with refractory ore in the sulfides when you get deep enough. But this is an open pit project. Uh, it is uh, an open pit project in perhaps the best mining jurisdiction in the world. It benefits from amazing infrastructure. There are power lines that run through the property claim claim block. Uh, there's the main highway from Reno to Las Vegas that runs right next to the property. Uh, there is shallow water, water nearby. Um, uh, which is a problem for a lot of operations in Nevada, but it's not a problem at our project. Uh, it's BLM land instead of forestry land, um, so it's easy to permit. It, it really, uh, it, it really is a dream location to find a gold mine, and it appears it's too early to say it's, it's a gold mine at this point, Jay. It requires a lot more work, but we've got two drills turning, and we have a substantial drilling program uh, presently underway, and um, uh, the deposit does appear to be a very large oxide gold system. And uh, we think that there are only two projects in all of the United States that compare. One is uh, Cripple Creek, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, one is Round Mountain, just 30 kilometers to the north of us. Uh, compare, you mean geologically in the, in the, the model, or, or how do you mean that? Geologically and also in terms just the sheer size, size of, of a mineralized gold system of mm-hmm. the property. Um, it is very large. We're drilling holes uh, with very wide spacing, mm-hmm. and the, the, gold, the gold is everywhere. And mm-hmm. We're presently drilling an area that's well over a kilometer long and half a kilometer wide, and the system just keeps getting larger. When uh, might you have some uh, a resource calculation here? I think that, is that scheduled for towards the end of this year, possibly? The, the objective is to have one uh, in the fall of this year. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't know at this time if it's a resource that uh, we will be um, in a position to, to make public. As you know, Jay, the engineers, third-party engineers, have to have a look. They may come back and say, you need to have another hole here and another hole there, sort of mm-hmm. tie it all together. But our, our objective is to, um, to have a resource there in the next six months. And um, if everything continues to go well, and it's going very well, it could be as early as this fall. How much of this uh, project, and, and uh, what I don't know if you said what the size of it is, but how much of this very large uh, claim area have you have you really looked at so far? Have you have you, have you put drill holes into? Let's it, let's it, put it that way. It's really it's really untouched. It's a district scale discovery. We call it district scale because it's there are, there are numerous targets that look um, exactly like what we call the original target, which has been the focus of about ninety eight percent of our drilling to date. There's so far eight um, major targets have been identified on the property. They all look identical with up to 20 grams, 22 grams per ton at surface, and uh, they need to be drilled. Mm-hmm. I, I guess uh, continuity is always one of the issues uh, with these properties, and so I suppose that's, that's part of what you're trying to do. But it, for the time being, it seems as though you're doing sort of, sort of uh, spacing out, uh, as you mentioned, widely spaced drill holes, so just to try to get a sense of the size and, and structure here, I guess. Well, the mineralized system is so large that we're, uh, we've, we, initially we've, we, we, um, we drilled uh, with very large spacing, uh, what we call sort of wildcat holes, Jay, all mm-hmm. over the property, mm-hmm. trying to identify the areas of the property that held the best grade. 
Mm-hmm. Um, only a bit over a month ago, we started to focus in on two areas where we got the best grade. Uh, in one of those areas, we intersected, um, I believe it was about seven grams per ton over 20, 20 meters, uh-huh. which is quite impressive. Yes. In another area of the property, um, 0.7 grams, which isn't as high of a, of a grade, but very, very long intercepts of 0.7 are just as good as you know. Sure. Uh, we were getting 500-foot intercepts, which are extremely unusual in, in, in Nevada, to be drilling continuous 500-foot intercepts, fully mineralized. Yeah, Those I mean... Those areas are of, of, of focus presently for our drilling. All right, so we might have some drill results coming out sometime in the near future? I would expect to see some drill results uh, over the next month. And, All right, um, so... Potentially a resource estimate, uh, which we think is going to be impressive, um, perhaps before the end of the year. All right, so drivers for the stock, those that uh, you're thinking of buying these shares, uh, what might people be looking for? I guess drill results and, and news from Columbus uh, in terms of the, uh, uh, the South American project? Well, I think there's two major catalysts. There's the feasibility study before the end of the year. Uh-huh. And within the next six months, a maiden resource at our Eastside project in Nevada. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it go at that. Uh, It's certainly an exciting story. It's one that I'm tracking for my subscribers. So those of you who subscribe to my letter will certainly be uh, kept up to date. And also, you should go to the website of uh, Columbus Gold to keep up with that as well. Thank you very much, Robert, for being with us today. And uh, we'll look to do it again sometime soon. Thanks, folks. uh, Good to be here. Thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away because coming up next, former GOP presidential candidate Ron Paul will answer the question of our show today, which is, why shouldn't we abolish the 4th of July? And um, he'll talk about why he is encouraged by the Brexit. And so um, don't go away. Stick around to hear what Ron Paul has to say. I'll be, be right back with Ron Paul. Trimetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company creating value through the exploration and development of its 100% owned near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. Trimetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a robust preliminary economic assessment. Trimetals believes there is a significant potential to increase the gold mineral resource through further drilling. Trimetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively. Brazil Resources Incorporated is developing projects with a total of 10 million ounces of gold resources. These acquisitions were made at discounted prices during the recent commodities market downturn. The company is a go-to name for leverage to the rising gold price among institutions and analysts. It is also exploring the highly prospective Rea Uranium project with JV partner Arriva in the western Athabasca Basin. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting brazilresources.com. TSXV, BRI, OTCQX, BRIZF. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor, 
at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I am honored to have back with me today on this show an absolute hero of mine, and I know a hero of many of yours as well, Dr. Ron Paul. As a former Republican presidential candidate and U.S. congressman and father of Senator Rand Paul, Dr. Paul needs no introduction, especially to those of you listening to me on this show. Before we go any further, I do want to make sure that my listeners are aware of an event coming up on September 10th in Washington, D.C at the Marriott Hotel at the Dallas Airport, and that is uh, the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity 2016 conference. Ron himself will be there, so you would uh, have a chance, I believe, to meet up with him and perhaps say hello to him. That alone, I think, is uh, worth more than the $55 admission price. But Ron and others, like Daniel McAdams, who is oftentimes on this show, will be there to speak. Uh, so if you understand the, the issue of foreign policy and how our current policies contradict the very basic ideals of what we were supposed to be celebrating yesterday, which was, the, I believe, the 240th birthday of our nation, or simply want to meet up with Dr. Paul, I would suggest you really look into attending this event on September 10th at the Marriott Hotel at the Dallas Airport. And go to ronpaulinstitute.org, ronpaulinstitute.org, to sign up for this this event, and not only that, but also to learn of a lot of very important information with respect to foreign policy. And I believe that Dr. Paul and Daniel McAdams provide a, a daily commentary on events that are that are very, very important to our nation. Uh, so there's lots of reasons to go to the ronpaulinstitute.org. Given Dr. Paul's reverence for the uh, Constitution as well as the Declaration of Independence, I wanted to have him on this day, day after the nation's birthday, in order to ask him to give us a little national physical exam, perhaps in terms of how we are living up to the ideals expressed in the words of Thomas Jefferson in that Declaration of Independence back in uh, 1776, and then, based on his assessment as to how well we have followed the spirit of the Declaration, I want to ask him for a prognosis for our country if we continue on the same path as we have been traveling. Let me just quote briefly that very famous paragraph, the second paragraph in the Declaration of Independence uh, written by Thomas Jefferson. Quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are initiated among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such forms as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness, end of quote. Dr. Paul, in your view, has our form of government become destructive towards the self-evident truths that we the people are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights? Well, first, Jay, thank you very much for having me on and putting a plug in for our conference in September. But uh, that is a you know very significant uh, part of the, the uh, Declaration of Independence, and I frequently sort of allude to that sort of in a disappointing way because uh, I, I think in many ways we haven't protected uh, what Jefferson and others tried to do. That it, it, it turned out to be a failure. I hope it's not that bad. But even Jefferson thought that uh, that it took a lot to maintain this, and thought that you had to have a revolutionary spirit in every. 20 years mm. in order to preserve your, your liberties. But the paragraph you read, I think it's important because it talks about the nature of government. 
And I think governments do come from the people, even when you have various forms of government, just not governments designed where uh, you have a constitution like ours. But uh, he talks about just powers coming from the consent of the people. So even when you have an authoritarian government, there is a subtleness of the consent of the people. Just recently, we saw that the consent of the people got set up in Britain, and they decided that they wanted to express themselves. So people's sentiments and their, their consent is very, very important. But it also means that uh, uh, it establishes this as moral right. Where does the government get this power? That is what I think has been lost, uh, because because right now we have the total special interest, total control, where you have the military industrial complex, where you have the people who benefit from the monetary system and all the deficit financing. Uh, this and, and people say, well, we have to do that. That's how you have a healthy economy. And other people who have suffered the consequence, the predictable destruction of the middle class that comes from destroying a currency puts a lot of people in jeopardy and not necessarily their fault. But the entitlement system, the people who have been living through entitlements and forced transfer of wealth, they're suffering. They don't even see this as a problem uh, because entitlements have become right. It, and they don't even think about where does the government have this just power? Where does it come? When does the government consent? They believe that as long as you can manipulate the system and get a so-called majority vote, uh, rights are not protected. And, uh, of course, the most important thing is protecting the rights of the minority and never allowing the dictatorship of the majority. The founders were very clear on this. They didn't want a pure democracy. They wanted a republic. And unfortunately, we don't seem to have much of that. I think the spirit of liberty is growing once again because things are so bad economically and our foreign policy in such shambles. I think it's fantastic. I talk to a lot of young people, so I'm, you know, optimistic to a degree that the spirit is coming alive again. And, of course, I do my very best, as you do, to keep that spirit alive and well. Yeah, well, I think it's very interesting because from whence do those powers come? By what do we gain our rights? And, uh, you know, Jefferson mentioned the creator, capital C, creator. Uh, to the extent that notion of a supreme being is lost, do you think, Dr. Paul, that that may then uh, lead to some sort of tyranny? Because, after all, if there aren't some absolute laws written into the way we're supposed to behave as human beings, won't people oftentimes find excuses or reasons to depart from from sort of those basic laws about how we're supposed to treat each other, the golden rule, for example? Yeah, and I think the founders, even though they might not have been themselves considered, you know, religious uh, uh -huh. promoters, uh, you know, they talked about a moral people. The people have to be, for this system to work, you have to have a moral standard. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'm a, a little bit, I, I lean toward inclusiveness if I can, mm -hmm. uh, because I don't like theocracies. Sure. But this, this whole thing about most of the great religions have re recognized the fact that you don't start with aggression. Uh, you know, even if you go back to Hammurabi uh, Code or the Ten Commandments, it was pretty, pretty sound stuff. You know, don't kill people, don't rob from people, mm -hmm. and don't hurt 
people. I mean, that, those moral standards were well known for as long as we have recorded history. It's uh, impressive to me that very early in human history, uh, those thoughts were uh, very much uh, uh, clear. And the founders knew this. I mean, they actually had uh, a, a good understanding of uh, the background of the Judeo-Christian uh, ethic. And it is based on, on nonviolence. And I think this is, uh, this is something that uh, is, if, if you lose that, if they reject this notion, then uh, it doesn't work. And I often use the Bastiat uh, principle. You know, and I'm sure you're familiar with the Bastiat principle sure. that uh, if you and I can't go to our neighbor when we're hungry or we want something and they have more than we do, that we have the moral right to take it. And most most people still believe in that. And that's the principle that people see. But they have been totally confused with this idea that, well, the purpose of government is to do our dirty work for us. <laughs> and we will organize and we will use government guns. I, I'm so annoyed with these anti-gun people that want to take our guns away from protecting our families. Yep. And, they, and they, they turn around and they use government guns all the time uh, to try to get, <clears throat> get their way in order to distribute the wealth the way they think it should be. Well, it's uh, certainly um, the ideal, Christian ideal anyway, is to, uh, is to help those less fortunate. And, you know, I think a lot of times liberals get confused with Christianity, uh, liberal Christians anyway. They sort of believe that, well, we'll just let government do it, and that way I don't have to. But, uh, you know, I, I, my view of Christianity is that, and, and I think my Jewish friends agree with this as well, that, uh, that we need to take care of those around us, uh, starting, of course, with our family, and that way the government doesn't have to. But as I understand, Dr. Paul, in the past, you've talked about uh, a couple of major ways that we've gone, sort of gone off the rails with respect to what our constitutional, uh, the constitutional mandate was for our country. Uh, one focuses on the monetary system and the other on foreign policy. And the two, as you've pointed out often, are, are very closely related. Uh, maybe we could talk about the monetary system first, if that's all right. Sure. Um, you know, as I understand, the Constitution calls for, the, for Congress not a central bank to have the powers of the purse, yet to safeguard the likelihood that Congress might abuse that power. Uh, it strictly defined the dollar or money in terms of a set amount of gold and or silver, I believe. is that. Do I have that right? That, that is right, and they did that immediately after the Constitution uh, was written with the uh, Monetary Act of 1792 to try to do exactly that, define the dollar as a weight. So... Uh, so contrary to the Constitution, it seems to me now, uh, what control, congressional control of the monetary system do we have? I mean, you, you sat on the House Banking Committee, you questioned Alan Greenspan and, and, uh, and Bernanke and others, and, uh, but it seems to me that, that it was sort of a show more than anything, that, that Congress wasn't really in charge, uh, the Federal Reserve was. Would you agree with that? Yes, it is, and it's the people's fault because they tolerated the, the uh, Congress uh, not minding their own business. So the Congress, uh, the people didn't say much when the Congress said, well, let's give it to this secret body of, of people who will design the monetary policy and nobody knows what's going on, and we ended up with this monster that we have now. Of course, this is part of the reason the uh, limitation of government power and the protection of liberty was destroyed uh, because there was a financing 
ability to do this. So, mm-hmm. you know, they tax us a lot, but the real tax and the real, uh, the real evil is when they can print money out of thin air. So the monetary policy is big time, uh, you know, uh, the big issue. And, of course, I've said many times that one of my motivations to getting involved in speaking out on monetary policy uh, in a political arena was uh, having studied Austrian economics and what was going on and as the Bretton Woods was coming unglued in the 1960s, gold was leaving this country and we knew that they were uh, abusing the Bretton Woods pseudo-gold standard and of course uh, when it climatically ended the Bretton Woods in 71, that's when I thought, well, I'm just going to, you know, uh, uh, you know, get involved in at least speaking out. So that was my goal all along. But monetary policy is key. It's the way you finance uh, the military. It's the way you finance a welfare state. It's the way you take care of friends, the military industrial complex, the banking industries. And then it, this was incorporated into the development uh, of the Keynesian theories on economics that uh, government planning is important. We don't live in a free society where the economy is a free uh, system and people get to keep what they earn and interest rates are set by the market. We have a system of total intervention and rules and regulations and thousands of pages of regulations. Uh, something that British sort of got tired of, but they got tired of it mainly because uh, Brussels, <laughs> Brussels were writing all these regulations but uh, I'm open to the American people. We're sick and tired of it. But I think our election today reflects what's happening, although I haven't uh, in the current crop that's uh, speaking out or in contention right now. I don't see many of them talking about, uh, you know, the importance of monetary policy. Uh, so uh, no. I still think it's important. An important issue, and it's very, very clear in the, in the Constitution that uh, there shouldn't be because they were they were really penalized by the inflation of the continental dollar, and that's why they, they tried desperately to prevent that. So, like it was in so many things on protection of liberty, uh, the Congress and the people have been negligent in trying to uh, protect us against the bad monetary system. Well, indeed. I mean, you were the only uh, presidential candidate among the Republicans uh, the last term, the last time, uh, that spoke out about monetary policy. Uh, this time I was hopeful that Senator Cruz might do so, but once your your son dropped out of the race, he seemed to go silent in terms of audit the Fed or go back to a gold standard. Mm-hmm. So I lost all hope with respect to any of the Republican candidates. Um, and then, uh, But I'd just like to read a quote that I picked up from something that you said on the floor of the House back in January 18th, 2006, you stated, and I quote, the consequence of this system, meaning the Federal Reserve and the monetary system, uh, the consequence of this system fully in place for the past 34 years, and this was in 2006 when you said this, are astronomical and impossible to accurately measure. Industries go offshore and the jobs follow. Price inflation eats away at the middle class and deficits soar while spending escalates rapidly as Congress hopes to keep up with the problems it created, end of quote. Well, Dr. Paul, I'm understanding very easily the concept of money printing leading to inflation. That's, that's an easy one to understand. But can you help me understand, connect the dots pr- uh, between money creation and how that leads to jobs going overseas? I mean, this is a thing that Donald Trump is talking about. Bernie Sanders is very, very concerned about jobs leaving, good jobs leaving. He'd like to just, of course, mandate higher prices for, uh, for hamburger flippers and so forth. But do, can you help us understand the connection between money printing and jobs? that are leaving our shores. 
Well, there's a, there's a big difference. If a country just prints money like Zimbabwe, uh, they just destroy their own country or somebody like Venezuela. It doesn't work. But if you're a country like ours that's a powerhouse and we also get to issue the reserve currency of the world, that's a big deal. Yeah. Because uh, you have to have something in reserve if you're running a banking system, even a free market banking system, which hopefully would uh, you know use gold and silver as the reserves. But when, when you if the dollar is the reserve, you use that to back your currency. You know the the, the uh, dollar, the paper dollar is backed by treasury bills. So the more the more debt you run up, the more treasury bills have, the more money you have. Well. When you have a reserve currency, people will take it, and we have been powerful. We have the military power and the economic power, so it's very tempting for other nations to take our dollars. So the nations that uh, you know have a different standard, whether it's Mexico or at one time Japan and now China, they take our dollars, uh, and, uh, and and that means we don't have to make these kind of things because it was tempting for these dollars to go. So we export our inflation. We don't suffer the consequences. We get to buy these cheap products. We get cheaper labor. But it's a consequence of bad monetary policy uh, that does this. Now, you say, well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. In a way, it is a good deal for a while. But eventually, you know, they give up because, unfortunately, the Chinese, they could have done this, but they could have taken our dollars and not monetized it. So if we spend $10 billion over there, they just print up $10 billion of one, and then they use $10 billion dollars to send back to us and help prop up our debt. So it's a quid pro quo. It's helpful, you know, to both sides, but it's unstable. It's not good policy. It's sort of like saying, oh, it wasn't the, wasn't the housing boom great? Uh, easy credit, low interest rates. Everybody give everybody that wants to buy a house, make them, the government makes them give give, a, give them a mortgage. Well, yeah, until it ends, and then, uh, of course, people lose their jobs, they lose their houses and everything else. And that's why the bubble finally is bursting in China and, and different places. So I, I think it's very directly related. Now, we could compensate a little bit for that. Well, first, we shouldn't have a reserve paper currency. Sure. That's, that's a real evil. But uh, we, it, when, when you have trade problems, uh, it's, it's easy to blame somebody else, but we should look to ourselves, what can we do to, for ourselves, and that is quit printing money, quit inflating, uh, quit manipulating the interest rates, uh, quit running up deficits, quit writing these regulations, and make sure it's competitive, because uh, you know I do think the American people still can compete, but we've, comp- we've uh, created the artificialness of that exists, but to say that, well, it's only one country's fault, uh, the, the, uh, the Chinese are at fault, so what we have to do is punish them and put on tariffs. I'm not for any of that stuff, because I think that's just uh, treating the symptoms, and it's missing the point, and uh, it leads to other things uh, going wrong later on. Yeah, well, uh, you wonder, because Donald Trump, of course, is talking a lot about uh, China, and they're at fault, and uh, you just wonder to what extent uh, I doubt then that any of that either Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump understand what you just said uh, in terms of the connections. And it seems to me also, Dr. Paul, that if we can uh, print money, it's a, a little bit like a mafia don printing money and getting, uh, you know, getting what he wants without having to work for it on a massive scale, of course. But it would also, I would think, cause us to be less competitive because we haven't had to be competitive. We could just have this sort of monetary narcotic, if you will, to uh, sus- to sustain us for a while. But then all as you point out, ultimately, doesn't work very right. well. 
Yeah. No, I, I think that's a perfect uh, example. If the mob gets to print the money, uh, it's worthless, but if they do a good job and people think it is, uh, you know, they do benefit for a while until somebody figures out, well, this is really counterfeit. And what we're dealing with is immorality in the monetary system because it is counterfeit. And that's why you uh, get up and get into so many of these, uh, these problems. But competition is what you want to preserve, uh, not protection for certain companies, you know, that uh, we so often do. And unfortunately, you know, when conditions get bad, uh, the corporate world get bailed out. They get, they, get, they get benefits as it goes up because they get to use the money first before the money is diluted and prices go up for the middle class. So uh, it becomes less competitive, and I don't think we're, we do a good job. But your point uh, that we need to be more competitive, but you need to give the incentive to be. Don't yeah. allow anybody to get these special favors. Yeah. And then you, to survive, you have to be competitive if you know you can keep the rewards of your labor. Well, my discussion with Ron went on too long to air the entire conversation this week. So I will play part two of my discussion with Dr. Paul, this premier champion of liberty, next week. In the second part of my discussion with Dr. Paul, he addressed the following topics. Alan Greenspan's remarks recently on Bloomberg Television that the U.S. would do well to go back on a gold standard, and also Greenspan's remarks about inflation, why he fears that we may be uh, experiencing some ugly effects of inflation in the near future. Also, Dr. Paul discussed how this money printing by the Fed continues to fund wars that are making America less safe, not more safe, and also how a buildup of gold reserves among eastern countries like China may indeed trigger a monetary default in the United States that could finally put an end to the wars that the United States is constantly getting itself into. In other words, a, an internal default, if you will, that will bring down the empire, much as happened in the Soviet Union. But towards the end of my discussion with Dr. Paul, I did put the following question to him as we closed the interview. One right. final question, if you okay. could, Dr. Paul, and that is, is there any real reason, given what we've just talked about, to celebrate the 4th of July? We just yesterday, we celebrated the 4th of July. Uh, if, in fact, uh, we've turned the Constitution, or at least the Declaration of Independence, seemingly, from my perspective, on its head, uh, should we abolish the 4th of July? No, I think we should use it to emphasize the uh, efforts that the founders put into it, and they were willing to go and separate themselves from England and show us that uh, secession is not such a bad idea. Emphasize that. And uh, also, to tell the people the truth, we should celebrate truth. And on the 4th of July, we ought to be honest with ourselves and not say that uh, we who might argue what we've been talking about, that we're unpatriotic, uh, and say what real patriotism is. For me, real patriotism is a willingness to work hard to understand what's going on and not to defend our government when they're wrong. And I don't think there's anything unpatriotic about that. I think it's unpatriotic to allow these people to get away with talking about uh, what we should be doing, how we want to run the world, and uh, that's where I see a great danger. Well, that is all the time we have for this week. But Dr. Paul, as I noted, will be back next week to talk about America's monetary and foreign policy future. Also, I expect to have Michael Oliver with me, perhaps another surprise guest. So be sure to check in with us again next week to hear more wisdom from Dr. Paul. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
Prime Metals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company creating value through the exploration and development of its 100% owned near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. TriMetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a robust preliminary economic assessment. TriMetals believes there is a significant potential to increase the gold mineral resource through further drilling. TriMetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively. 